0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. The Essential 100 Bible Study, also known as E100, is led by Father Christopher Rodriguez. This study is an overview of the Bible that guides you through 50 Old Testament and 50 New Testament stories. Upon completion of the study, you will have received the big picture of God's Word. So unless I got my calendar wrong today, we are in the book of Joshua, correct? So. I'm not sure if that's why Father Chris gave it to me for my own namesake, but um, was it last week that I told you all my favorite verse in the Bible, the Joshua verse, was that last week that I shared that with you? I know, I, sh- I think I shared it with, um, with one of the new, new Eucharist, but let me go ahead and share with you, um, you know how people say they have life verses, right, like, faith, like this, is, this defines me or this is something that I really grapple with or grasp onto? Uh, mine is, a, is actually Joshua 4.14. So let me read that to you. It's just one page over. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So, that's my life verse. Um, I just changed Israel to Trinity, and it seems to, uh, yeah, uh, be a wild dream. So, Anyway, but this is the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is, you can kind of conceptualize it as like part two of Deuteronomy in a lot of ways, because it picks up a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same thoughts as Deuteronomy. And so, um, uh, kind of like how, you know, Luke-Acts is what we call in the New Testament. We kind of have like the Luke-Acts connection. Here we have the Joshua-Deuteronomy connection. Um, We're not not gonna get to the whole thing about dating of Joshua. because Joshua has a very early date. It has a very early date. It was likely written as these events were happening. Um, now, there are, there, you know, and so it's not like, and, and you actually get into that very specifically because it is very specific with its um, geography and um, with what we've later found about archaeology. And we're going to talk about the ways that these. Um, infiltrations, the way that the Israelite army marched in, and what the current archaeological evidence kind of leans towards. Um, There's been some different conceptions of that, but we're going to dive into that today too. Uh, So that being said, um, let's read verse, let's read verses uh, just one and two. (coughs) This is Joshua chapter one, verses one and two. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. So what's the first thing that you notice that happened? This is not a trick question, something happened. Moses died. Moses died, right? And I know we we didn't like, that's not something we explicitly covered. I think last week was the golden calf, correct? Um, I was in the church working on a few things, but um, so so we didn't get to the explicit part where it discusses Moses' death. Um, but Moses had a very unique role in leadership in Israel's history. Would you all agree with that? Have you kind of come to see that? I mean, speaking to God, seeing him pass before him, I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of really elevated language about Moses and we're gonna get into his title and how that applies. Um, but Joshua coming along, um, Joshua's no slouch, right? I mean, you'll, fi- you'll find this out uh, as this book progresses, but he's untested, right? At this point in, the, in scripture, he's untested. We have yet to see what he's made of. Uh, we have a hint that he's a good person, I mean, that he's a strong leader and a good man from him being Moses' aid and then also from the events that transpired back in Numbers 23, which you all have memorized, right? Go back and catalog. um, Well, we're going to get into those events in about chapter, I think, 12 of, of, or verse 12 of today. Um, So Joshua comes on the scene now, and there's, the transition's happening, right, where they're about to cross the Jordan, and they're about to go into Canaanite territory as, um, in the Canaanites' mind, as invaders, but, and as you'll see in the book of Joshua, the argument is not that they're invaders, it's that they are driving out the squatters of the land God has given them. You see, it's different. Um, the land, and I'm, I'm gonna talk about all the different themes that we're gonna kind of, you know, broad, this is broad strokes, right? And then as Joshua progresses, you'll see these play out. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things that we're gonna get into in a few minutes is that God, God is the one who declared this as, as their land. He said, this is your land, go and take back your land. So they're driving out the squatters that have built up things in the meantime. Um, but the Israelite army does not come through as this enormous conquering wave. Right? Anybody ever see any of those like ancient war movies? Like, um, I don't know, what's, what's like... The, the worst possible example I can think of, 300. Um, where it's just like you know these tons of people kind of pouring in and swarming an entire valley like locusts and just flattening everything that they see. That's not how the army did warfare in Joshua. Pay attention to that too. Um, there was never this all out frontal offensive attack. It was always uh, by means of ambush. There were always diversionary tactics. And it was always the direct intervention of God, and I mean, think of Jericho, right? You all remember the story of Jericho? Um, We'll get into that, I think, at a later date. Um, So again, it wasn't this, like, you know, this locust army sweeping across the land and devouring everything. It was, um, they they didn't have the military might to do that. In fact, and I keep saying we're talking about things in a few minutes, but we are. um, They did not destroy very many cities. You see, that was one of the arguments from archeological evidence that said, well, There was a lot of tumult and upheaval at this time Um, in history, we can see that, but not a lot of the cities were raised. And it's like, well, Joshua doesn't say that a lot of the cities were raised either. You know, the biblical evidence is not the raising of cities. In fact, Deuteronomy is explicit about that in chapter six, which we're gonna talk about in a second. So, I'm, I'm gonna retire that phrase for now. All right, so. A uh, couple things again. As we get into this, we're going to look at God's promises in the whole book of Joshua. One is is the land is a big deal. Like possessing a land, your own land as a people is a big deal. Uh, and this is where things get really tricky. I've noticed that I think the hardest thing for all of us collectively, as we approach the Old Testament, is how in the world do we put ourselves in their context? Right? You know, like how do we put ourselves in those? Are you are you going to eat tomorrow? Like, you're pretty sure you're gonna ha- eat? Do you know where you're sleeping tonight? Uh, what are the odds that somebody is going to, you know, um, take you out in your sleep and take your stuff? I mean, is it like 10% chance that you're gonna get taken out tonight by somebody? Or wild animals? What are the odds for you? Anybody? Yeah. What are the odds that you're gonna cut yourself on an implement and die of an infection uh, within the next week? What are you looking at there, like? 5%, 6 no, right? I mean, it's a, like, one of the ways, one way of approaching the text in humility intentionally is, God, you are God, I am not. The second way of approaching it in humility is, is, I have no idea what their context is. Can you all agree with that? Like, you don't have a clue. Neither do I. Not a clue what it's like to live that life. Does that justify any and all decisions and actions? No. Um, but let's at least approach it with the humility to say, like, we don't, we don't know what it's like to be that exposed, um, even, yes, Jane. Well, yeah, and remember, a, a part of God's, a part of God's promises, especially in the Old Testament, are contingent upon the obedience of the people. You know what I mean? Like it, it is. Um, we talked about that what two weeks ago, right? That that they're not unconditional promises; they're conditional promises. Uh, Which we, I mean, again, we kind of use that with our kids all the time. I every night when I try to get Gabriel to eat his food, right? It's like I will give you this potato chip if you take two bites of that meal. You know, Um, shorthand would be, you know, I'd love to give you this potato chip. You know, like here, I'm going to give you this potato chip, assuming you, uh, you know, obey me. Sometimes he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. It, it, yeah. And God. God does say wipe them out. Now, we're going to get into that in a second too. Um, it's going to kind of go back to reversal. Or, no. Go back. Circle back. Not reversal. Circle back to the conversation about the plagues. But no. God. God. God's promises are actually conditional in the Old Testament. Um, and and. And then we can talk about the reasons for it. Not all of them, but some of them certainly are. And one of the reasons for that likely is because there are promises that God cannot carry out without the obedience of his people. Not because he's not powerful enough to, but like, you know, can you, um, can you change the, you know, if, if you believe in free will, can you change the hearts of your kids? Um, you know, like, can you make the promise that you're going to guarantee how your kids are going to turn out? Right. So, so, how do you make how do you how do how do you make unconditional promises with with people that are about you know their, um, that require their obedience? It's difficult to do. Um, now, so again, I would actually say God's promises are not all unconditional. Um, I would say that as I've said before in the covenants, He fulfills the condition for us, and in the New Testament, certainly um, the promises of salvation is for whom all who believe right that sounds like a yeah that sounds like a condition to me do you see what i'm saying like like i i mean i, I think that we and again i use we uh, very seriously here i think that we really kind of get into this thing where you know we think unconditional whatever is the best and it's like well that's not always true um, unconditional alleviation of poverty um, has not shown in africa to be a great thing um, do you see what I'm saying? So, so it's, I mean, there's reasons for the ways that, we, that God does things. Um, unconditional is not always better. Can I put it that way? Um, so, the land. Um, the land is God's gift to Israel, and this concept occurs in Joshua 50 times in 24 chapters. That's very regular. Um, and again, as if God gives somebody land, does that mean that God is no longer owner of the land? No right? Are you, and this, this should rub you the wrong way, but we've talked about this before, do you own the things that you possess? Or do they own you? Um, no, you don't. Uh, the, the, the secular Western conception of ownership is that you own what you possess. The biblical concept of ownership is that you are, God has granted you to be a steward of what you possess, but he still owns it. Does that make sense? Now, I know it like, That's why, you know, whenever I talk about stewardship, it's not, um, oh, please give us your money. Um, That doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, as a priest, grateful, and I don't think that it shows charity, and I don't think, you know, I do think it shows a heart and a willingness to love God, but I'm, you know, but I am a firm believer, and my wife, are too, way before I got into ministry, are firm believers that God owns what's in my pockets, and he has allowed me to steward them appropriately. Does that make sense to you all? It's just a different conception of, and it actually affects things a lot way. I remember a book I was reading and I said, you know, how about start phrasing things instead of saying my car, say the Lord's car, my house, God's house. Do you see what I'm saying? Like build, switch that up and build that into your daily vocabulary. And People might look at you like you're strange, but it'll sure remind you of exactly how things stand. Does that make sense? Like, it's, it's just a practical, helpful thing. So again, it's God's land. And that's how you talk about land for six minutes. Um, it's God's land. And he is allowing them to be over it, um, to be stewards of it. Second, references to God's promises to them, as we were uh, just talking about, and the covenant. Uh, God promises Joshua that he would be with him. We'll see that in verse five, that no one will withstand him, that he'll get rest for his people. Um, and this is the really cool part. So you remember we talked about them not just raising all the land, they're not going to destroy it all? Um, God actually had promised back in Deuteronomy 6. In fact, let me read it to you. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that they don't just go in and destroy and build their own everything. Let me find my page marker for this. This is why you label your page markers. All right, there it is, all right. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. If you're using one of these Bibles, it's page 151. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, which is about to happen, right? Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Um, It is God. Basically, you know, it is God who is doing this for you. Isn't that interesting? So again, it's it's not just that they came in and um, destroyed all of the physical property that was there. Um, You know, the part of the promise of God was, hey, you're going to go into fully stocked houses and lands like that's. That's a pretty good promise. Um, so again, that's one of the promises of God. And I also have up there covenant um, because there are two covenant renewals in this book. Um, I mean, we kind of do a covenant renewal, right? Like we're gonna have a baptism this Sunday. And we, have a, you know, we, we renew our baptismal vows, right? We stand before God and we, you know, we affirm what we have, had said as a, as a congregation, right? Um, so it's kind of a neat thing. Uh, We've got three baptisms. One of of them is Asher's, which is really exciting for me. Um, So, again, okay, next one, obedience. Sorry, I'm going to try to move through these so we can get to our text. I was worried about time. Now I'm worried for the other reason. Um, Obedience, right, in the Old Testament when there is gross disobedience, there is a withdrawal of the blessings of God, right? Like, I know we're, again, I know we're raised on, like, Unconditional affection, unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. That's all right, we'll give it a second. Sorry. (laughs) It's a message from God. Yes, so. All right, that's all right. So again, I know we're raised on a steady stream of like, and part of this I think, I'm trying to trace this exactly, but I, I think part of this comes out of the psychology of like the maybe 50s, but 60s and 70s of unconditional affirmation. You guys hearing me so far? Hear what I'm saying? Where it's, and it's not strictly Rogerian, but, it, but it's kind of like, hey, no matter what you are, think, say, do, everything like that, I'm going to be a non-judgmental presence, and I'm just going to listen to you, and then you're gonna figure out what you need to do on your own. Does that make sense? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Do anybody know that culture? Um, it has since proven to be somewhat ineffective, because a lot of times what happens is people will come in and they'll feel a burden of guilt, and when um, that's not reflected on the face of the person, they 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 start thinking, well, you're worthless because I feel guilty and you think this is fine. So if I'm doing this and I know better than you, then why am I bothering with you? Does that make sense? Like that that started happening. That's why um, for priests, when priests give spiritual direction, it's actually like. A confession is different, right? A confession is something where we, we listen. Um, well, I'm not getting into that now. But but if you're coming to us for advice, you know, like I'm going to d- display on my face, um, you know, my reflection of what you're saying to me. But I'm going to love you and uh, you know, love you in spite of that. But I'm not going to say it's okay. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, I mean, that's 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 what people end up responding to is, as one. You probably won't surprise me. I'm a young priest, but boy, I've heard a lot. Um, and, 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 but, you know, so you're not going to like shock me, um, cause this, you know, but, but at the same time, anyway, let's talk about a tangent. So now we're back, um, disobedience being one of the things, and we're going to find that out in chapter seven, that there's a gross disobedience that happens where in God's hand is somewhat withdrawn. Um, purity of worship, which is holiness. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but is it easy to get sucked into cultural values if you live in a culture? You guys think so? Um, Is it easy to start identifying yourself by the markers of the culture and sorting yourself into tribes based on what the culture values? Yeah, election day's coming up, everybody, hi. Um, You know, like, I can't tell you how many people um, have tied their politics to their faith and identify equally strongly, if not stronger, in their politics and their faith. Um, Which is really sad. Um, And it's not that politics aren't important. Um, and it's not the political views aren't important, but it's not your God, right? It's not your God, don't worship it. Um, anyway, so it's really easy to get um, sucked into it. So holiness, which is purity, right? Like set apart, sacred, different, is, is a really strong one. Which, do they do that perfectly, Janie Binion? No, uh, no they don't. Um, godly leadership, judges things get out of control. We're coming up to the book of Judges. They spiral down, and one of the re- main things they point to is that there was no godly leadership in place. Um, and so godly leadership's a big part of this. And Josh, the reason I say Joshua is being tested right now is because look at this, or that he's unproven. Joshua is referred to as Moses' assistant. Moses is referred to as servant of the Lord. That is a very rarely used uh, honorary title uh, in the Old Testament. That is like, if you if you have been called the servant of the Lord in the Old Testament, you are top dog. Um, I'm gonna get into exactly who was in a second, but yeah, so so he's not called that until, spoiler alert, the last, I think it's the, leads the last or the second last chapter of this book where Joshua has finally kind of earned the title servant of the Lord. Y'all follow me? Like he, he kind of like did it. Not perfectly, but he did it. Um, and then the last one is rest. The reason the reason I gave us all that reminder of like, let's have a humility as we approach it because it's a different culture is because, it, you know, you and I want rest, right? Like we get tired. Would you all agree with that? You, you know, life gets crazy, spins out of control. Most of that's our own doing um, or the different spheres of influence that we are a part of. But, um, their rest is again of an entirely different. Their lack of rest is of an entirely different sort. Like we're not typically fearing for our lives, um, day to day, minute to minute. Right? Um, we don't. We, we're not. we are not can You know. We're not nomads ta- tam- uh, camped in tents in opposing tribes' lands. That's not comfortable, right? Would you all agree with that? Like, that's. You know. We're not worried about the Sebastianites. You know. Like marching down to take us out any minute, right? Like, that's not, that, what's that? We're here already. Uh-oh, there, <laughs> enemies in the camp. Um. <laughs> I like that. So, anyway, um, so, I mean, that's, that's really broad context. Um, so, all right, so let's get into it. So, again, no, I liked it. I, that, that, I appreciate that. Uh, God says, verse two, I'm jumping in. Moses my servant is dead, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, where am I, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man, by the way, does this remind anybody of Lion King? You remember when Mufasa's with Semba and he's like, all the land the light touches will be yours. And then uh, Simba's like, what about that shadow place? And he says, my son, you must never go there. Um, I bet they pulled it here. So, because it says, uh, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And this is huge. If you remember how he how God was with Moses, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um, Yeah, there's a, I mean, it's a, we're going to talk about, again, if we can get to it, because that's specifically in verse 18. Um, What's that? Good, you're all supposed to do your homework. Um, But yeah, but anyway, yeah, I mean, there's a a lot of transitions happening. You all remember why Moses isn't going to the promised land? Do you all remember this from, like, I know we didn't cover it in E100, um, but maybe in Sunday school or something. Um, I'm serious about that. Um, So Moses, right, got frustrated and and struck a rock, presumably out of anger, Um, and God was like, well, you blew it, basically. Like, you don't get to see the promised land, Um, and because of the Israelites' complaining, right, like that whole generation, um, that's why the 40 year wandering around the desert, partially that, um, partially to form them into a people of God that went from being having a slave mentality to a conqueror's mentality, which as you all probably know is very different, right? If, you're, if, you, if you are continually beat up and feel powerless, that's a hard thing to break mentally. You guys know that, right? Like, that's, that's, the real, that's the real problem, I mentioned poverty before. That's the real problem of poverty is, um, is peop- I'm overgeneralizing, but, but it is true, generally. People who are in poverty have a great sense of powerlessness, that they feel like no matter what um, they try to do, life won't let them get out. It's kind of like, um, you know, that whole, I don't know if it's a fiction or what, but the story about the elephants, you know, you train, when you train them when they're young, you chain their legs to a post, have you all heard this? You train them, you train, you, like for a circus, you tie their legs to a post so that they can't, you know, they strain and they struggle and they strain, they can't, they can't break free. And then when they're older, all you have to do is loosely tie a rope and even though they have so much power and strength to snap that, they've been so conditioned that they're powerless, that they, that they imagine they can't break free. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know if that's true, by the way, but that's a story I was told in a sermon like 15 years ago, and I pay attention. So, um, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the, anyway, my point in saying that is because that's how people in poverty typically feel, is they might have opportunities right in front of them and just not, you know, and kind of have a, well, something's going to happen mentality, like, I cannot do this. And so God has to break this people who were, I mean, you know, horrible, physical, violent slavery is poverty. Would you all agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, breaking them of that and, and getting them here. Yes. 40 years. Yeah. None of them had been slaves and um, I, Yeah and even the older generation that they were being formed to, um, which was then able to be passed down to their kids as well. So, yeah, yes, yes, and. Um, now, a couple people like were not condemned that way. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, th- no, we'll go back to number 23 in a second. Anyway, I, I need to get through this first little bit. So, servant of the Lord, back to the title. Servant of the Lord, and if you take notes, you can write these names down, because these are the only people who were given that designation. Abraham, y'all remember him? Moses, David, and the servant of the Lord in Isaiah, who is Jesus, right? So that's a rare title, that's a, that's a, that's a fantastic title, and Joshua, which he ends up earning, right? But that's still, that's still in, in question. Um, and here, it's God's referred to as the Lord, um, servant of, or servant of the Lord. Um, it's actually, here it's actually God's personal name, Yahweh. So I don't know why, I don't know why most translations rendered it servant of the Lord, but here it's actually very, it's the personal name of God. And that matters because Joshua's name, given in the Hebrew Bible is Yehoshua, um, which means what? Do you guys know what Joshua means, Yehoshua? Uh, Do you all know the Greek form of that name, Joshua? Jesus, Jesus, right, Jesus, Jesus. Same name, means the same thing. Joshua and Jesus mean the same thing. One's the Hebrew-ish, one is the Greek-ish pronunciation. It means Yahweh saves or delivers. God saves, actually it's not God saves, specifically Yahweh saves, the personal name of God saves. What was Joshua, was Joshua born Joshua or was he born with a different name? I'm teeing it up, obviously it's a different name. Um, Do you all know what it was? His original name, I'm gonna make sure I get this right, yes I do, okay, uh, Hoshia. His original name was not Yahashua, which is Yahweh saves, it was Hoshia, which incorporates, I mean that's salvation or deliverance, but this incorporates God's personal name, which is kind of making God's personal mark on Joshua, does that make sense? You know, kind of like remember Abram changes. You know, God changed his name to Abraham. Um, it was originally Hashia, but then Moses, under God's command, changed his name to Yehoshua. Um, And if you want to read about that, where is that? That is in. It's in, it's referenced um, in Numbers thirteen, just briefly. So again, he's kind of being commissioned and built up. Um, Let's skip ahead. This is, so, did you all notice a recurring phrase in this first section? Yes, courage and something. Be strong and courageous. Yep. yep, be strong and courageous. How many times do you hear that? At least three times there, um, right? And we know this in Hebrew, if it repeats something, pay attention. Uh, be strong and courageous. Courageous here has kind of two different connotations for the same word. One in this is used as courage, obviously, but one is also used as resoluteness. And we in English typically separate, you know, those have, like, we, those have very different meanings to us. But if you think about it, Joshua is coming to a place of where they had once been and were rebuffed out of fear, and they're coming back, so he needs courage. Y'all follow me so far? Like he needs courage, and he needs resoluteness because as you'll notice human beings are fickle, right? And they can come to God with sincere, sincere hearts of worship and desire to follow after Him on Sunday, and then Sunday night, you know, have complete, right, has that ever happened to any of you, or am I just the only one that misses the mark sometimes? Um, so resoluteness is also what, what's being called for, and it, it goes back and forth. Uh, and this is also, by the way, the exact same exhortation that God gave to Moses, thereby drawing another bridge. That was in Deuteronomy 31. Um, and, and you imagine this, so when you're thinking about conquering the land, and I know we skipped Numbers, uh, it's, E 100 had mercy on your souls, um, but in Numbers, chapter, 20, in numbers um, chapter 23, I believe, something really significant happened. Let me see if that's what it was. No, it was 32. I'm good at Numbers, everybody. Um, I'm stalling, actually, because that, I had the, nope, 13, I'm, 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 I'm doing Bible drills, this is sword drills, you know, where I just call out numbers, you guys have to flip to them as quickly as possible, so, it's uh, keeping you on your toes here, golly, 13, 23, 32, totally different, turns out, no, 13, I, I promise you, I'm open to 13, no more tricks, Halloween's over, that was last night. In Numbers, 13, in Numbers 13, the spies were sent into uh, the land of Canaan to check out the land. This was a long time ago. Do you guys follow me so far? I know I'm a little like all over the place when it comes to timelines, but I'm going to bring it in right now. Uh, in Numbers chapter 13, spies were sent into Canaan to go see, you know, if they, if it was conquerable, right? Like, can we go in there and take this land and conquer it? And if you guys remember what happened, the spies went in and they saw what they considered were enormous people, terrifying people. Um, The sons of Anak, who were considered unbeatable in those days, um, who, who were, they called them giants. They said we're but grasshoppers compared to them, I'll, let's go ahead and skip to verse thirty-two. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, "The land through which we have gone to spy, though which we have gone to spy, through which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. Don't ask me about the Nephilim today. Uh, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers." And so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And they all grumbled against Moses. And yet again, they, you know, why not leave us in Egypt? Um, but, get, but two people, two of the spies said, no, we can take this land, we can conquer it. One of them was Caleb. One of them was Joshua. Joshua. Way long time ago, when he was much younger. Those two went out and they spied out the land, and everybody else said, they're huge, we're, we're like ants compared to them, they devour each other, it's gonna be a bloodbath, yes, God promised us this land, but we just can't do it, we're not going to make it in there. Um, and Joshua says, no, no, God, like, if, yes, they're huge, and sure, they're big, but if God, you know, if God has us, then who cares, right? Like, if, if this is God's battle, then we'll be fine. Um, and so, when this whole be strong and courageous thing, it's not just, hey, you have a new leader, hey, you're going to a new land, but also, hey, these are the people that you all tucked your tails and ran from before, but now it's, it's game time. You all follow me so far? Like that that, that threefold be strong and courageous? Like it, it's time to go do this. Um, so, well, do you all have any questions before I dive into the next section so far? Any thoughts, like as you read this section or questions? All right, I'm going you're about to, I hope. So, we have um, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law, all the law that my Moses that Moses my servant commanded you. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. That the ten commandments. That is that That is the Ten Commandments, and I think there's a total of was it six hundred and thirteen laws in the old testament? So it's kind of like the all of the instructions that have been told to you. We we specifically here reference the Ten Commandments. But he's saying, you know, be careful, like obey obey these things. Does obedience rub anybody here the wrong way still, or have we just beat that into you over the course of the E one hundred? Like in my former Christian context, we were kind of, I think I used this a few weeks ago, antinomian, which means it was all grace, no law. You know, and, and youth kids would say, you know, it's, God doesn't care if I party on Saturdays because he's forgiven me of everything and everything's fine. And it's just like, that's not like, yes, it matters what you do with your life. Paul says that in Romans 6. Uh, By no means, you know, keep on sinning. So, um, but anyway, so, so we've learned that the law also has good functions, right? The law reminds us of where we've fallen. The law still, and I'm talking not just like Old Testament, I'm talking just law in general, like God's commands as set forth that were re-upped in the New Testament and written on our hearts. Those laws are good guide. Would you say that those are good guideposts for how you should conduct your life? Would we all kind of agree with that? Yeah, they are, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, otherwise, what are we preaching about every Sunday, right? Like, you know, it's, it's God has died for you, and be grateful and thankful, and he'll take care of you. Oh, by the way, live it out, you know, in accordance with what you believe. Or as Paul would say, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Think about that one for a second. Um, so again, the law is a good thing. It shapes them and guides them, and apparently you all come from a different context than I do, and that's a good thing. So law does not, is not abrasive to any of you. Um, all right, let's continue on. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Is it easy, do you think, for them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're leaving, they're leaving what they know to venture into something they don't know, uh, which is still terrifying for all of us, whether you're talking about physical movement or self-awareness um, or whatever you have, um, whenever you're, you know, you find out something new or a new way of seeing a person that you've lived your life with for the last 20 plus years, you know, that's always, that's always the unknown, right? Um so, but it's also difficult, it, it's also difficult for them. Like this road that God is calling them to is not easy. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it sounds easy here, like just go up in the land of Canaan and possess it, and you know, and it's just like, no, God didn't promise it would be easy. He promised that it was possible through him. Right? Do you all hear what I'm saying I say like <clears throat> I think a lot of people when we talk about the Christian life, they either um overpromise and under deliver. Or under-promise, um, but they don't overdeliver. Um, so, like, right? It's it's like you know, Christ, your Christian life is not easy. It's not easy to strive to be holy and faithful. Right? That's not easy, um, but it's worthwhile and it's meaningful and it's purposeful. Um, the narrow way is very difficult, but God has still called you to it. Right? So and. Put this in your back pocket for whenever I preach or whenever Father Father Chris preaches. Um, When we give moral exhortations based on what Jesus has commanded us to do and found through the writings of Paul, we are not presuming that it's easy, right? Would you guys, would you, you all hear me when I say that? Like, it's not like suffering, right? Like, big deal. You'll get through it. God's got, like, that's, we don't, that's not been our lived experience, right? Um, We know that's not true, but that doesn't mean that we don't point to something to strive for, right? I mean, that sounds like a really like a no-duh thing, but you would be surprised how many people rebuff things by saying, well, it's not that easy, and it's kind of like, I know. I'm like, I'm on step two of 268 with this particular issue, right? Like, and if I reach step three before I die, praise the Lord. So, all right, verse 12. until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, well, we'll get into that in a second. What's, What's happening here? They're splitting the troops. They're splitting the, yeah, well, the troops were split, yes. Um, Somebody, somebody came in with a really good question about that earlier. Um, like why, why are those two or three tribes, right? The half-tribe Manasseh. Why are those three tribes staying on one side of the Jordan while everyone else crosses over? I'd granted it to them. So uh, if you did not comb through the book of Numbers, um, I'm assuming all of you did, so this is a reminder. So you're saying that not everybody's going Oh, George. Summer the land that the guy yes. Now here's now here's here's where this comes from. Numbers 32. You can read the chapter. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing now because I have eight minutes, and I I really want to talk about punishment because because so, uh, I'm just that way. No, because it's really interesting. Um. Yeah, in Numbers 32. Uh, the people, it says, well, I'll just read a couple verses. Now, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So, basically, they went and they asked Moses, like, if we have found favor in your sight, can we have this land for our possession and not Canaan? Like, this is, this is good. We're happy here. Let us stay here. And Moses said to them, shall your brothers go to war while you stay here? You know, like, we have to conquer that. This is just already here. Like, are you guys just going to try to tap out? Because that's, that's not a good thing. But what they said is, no, we'll send our fighting men with you, and we'll help you conquer that whole land with all of our brothers, but just let us stay on the side of the Jordan River. That's what, that's, so that's, that's what's happening here. Um, it's not that they didn't, you know, somehow, they weren't worthy enough to enter the land of promise. They just said, we like this, God. Can we take this instead of the land you've given us? Ends up being a huge mistake. Why do you think, why do you think that is? Then overflowing milk and honey. Yeah, yes. And again, think tribal warfare. You know, if you are, um, the Jordan acted as somewhat of a natural barrier of protection. If you're on the wrong side of the river and you are separated from the bulk of your uh, brethren and people come a in, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, that happened. To them, actually, it was it, this ended up being a very, a very poor decision for them, and had disastrous consequences. But it was something that they requested, and God allowed it. Um, I'm sure. They're not trusting in God if they're not God. Yeah, either they're, yeah, either they're not trusting that. Well, that's that's it, right? It's this is good enough, so I'm happy here. When God said no, there's better. Just keep going. And you know, and but we all do that sometimes, right? I mean, we do. We say, you know what? May, I mean, maybe we do. God, you're calling me to something very hard. I'm very happy here. Just, you know, can I stay here? Um, and, and, it, and it's not you know, sometimes when God gives you what you ask for, it's not a good thing. Right? It's not a good thing. Uh, you, you, you rarely know exactly what you want. Um, and if you do, you don't always know why you want it. And even if you know why you want it, it's not, you don't, you're not always sure that it's good for you. And I don't mean you, I mean, we. I know, I'm using, I mean, it and you can point back to episodes of your life where I can prove that. They spend 40 years wandering around, and then when they get this close, some of them go, nah, we don't want it. I mean, it just. Yeah, it, it, it does, but, but I bet if you, I bet if you, I bet if you thought on it tonight, you could think of plenty of examples where people have done that, where you make it, you know, you go, you go so far and then you're like, yeah, this is good. I mean, I've done that. I used to run. What do you think my running was? was <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're looking at like the one, you know, the next street over or, or the, the shortcut home and it's just kind of like, well, I'm good. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've lived that life. Um, you know, I'm going to choose to believe that because I like the sound of it. Running's not good for you. Is change is difficult for all of us? And they had seen a place that was better than the wilderness, you know, and it was easy, and they were already there. Sure, and they had all the livestock. I mean, it said, you know, they had huge, you know, driving huge livestock, and and you know, either mountainous terrain or desert terrain. Like that's tough. Yeah, but it's easy to be critical looking back. Totally. After they got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Very few people. Very few people love change. Um, yeah, absolutely. Alright, so let's do the last two verses. And because we started ten minutes late, I'm not going to take ten minutes longer, but I'm going to try to go quick. Alright, verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. That's something for an Israelite response, right? We go back to the same thing. Why do they want to- he's going to commit, you know I don't get it yeah i don't know i don't have a good an- i don't have a good an- like i've seen it in my own nature but i don't have a strong answer for you um, just as we obeyed moses in all things so we will obey you yeah. boy do you see the importance of godly leadership and that kind of in that kind of um uh, support of a of a leader that's some he Joshua could have gone real tyrannical and dictatorial with this, but he didn't. Um, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever, and by the way, only may, that's actually probably better translated as um, God is with you as he is with Moses. It's, you know, um, it's, more of a, it's more definitive than that. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. They got death and then they're still staying, right? Well, yeah, but he's not, Mo, Joshua's not commanding them to go with them now. Joshua's not commanding them. I mean, like Moses and, and Moses relented. I think Moses went to God in Numbers 32 and then relented and said, okay, like God said, okay, so you guys can stay here. So it's not, but, but they do send, the important thing is they do send their, their mighty men and they fulfill their obligation. I think it's Joshua 22 that we find that out, that they definitely fulfilled their obligation to the rest of their brothers, which that is kind of a big deal, right? Because if you settle in with your family, I'm thinking about being a young father right now, um, thinking as a young father, not about being one. Um, You know, when you're settled with your family and the troops are marching out, that's kind of tough. You're just like, but I've got my land. Like, why would I want to go help and conquer and build your land? Well, they are fulfilling, they are being obedient. They're fulfilling an obligation. so that's just a really good thing. Now, I want to talk about whoever rebels against your commandment, and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. I want to talk a little bit, do a little excursus about punishment in the next couple minutes. Are you guys on board with that? The, the biblical, the motives for punishment. Um, because, specifically because as we hear about, I mean, you remember the, our conversation about the plagues and how difficult that is for some people understandably to say, well, that seems rather harsh. And that's again, the reminder to all of us that when we approach scripture, we, you know, you have never been a slave. Like a slave to your sin, yes. Um, a slave to another human being, I would venture to say no. Even the most codependent relationship is, is not the level of slavery, right? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that we have to understand, but we also, I also think it's help, healthy for us to talk about biblical motives like of punishment, because in our day and age, we tend to only think of one acceptable motive for punishment. What do you think the only acceptable motive for punishment is? Um, what should be, when you're punishing somebody, what is an acceptable motive? What are you trying to do? change their behavior, right? In honor of yesterday, I'm gonna use this word, what's that? Reformation, that is the most common conception of the motive for punishment in the Christian life and thought, and it's actually really interesting. As I was doing my studies on the different Christian perspectives of hell throughout history, which we will talk about that someday, One thing that was really interesting is a lot of the philosophical arguments said, "Well, hell can't exist in its traditional conception because the only proper biblical motivation for punishment is this." Do you see what I'm saying? How can how can you reform somebody through eternal torment? Well, you're not trying to reform. So, so we open up the box and we say, "Okay, well, clearly." Reformation is not the only motive for punishment. This is a, this, is, this should be your primary motive for punishment um, in cases where this is possible. Would you all agree with that? Like, your kids. You, I hope that the reason that you punish your kids is to reform them. Sometimes punishing your kids, by the way, looks like not enabling them. Would you all agree with that? Um, because you want them to, like, whatever it takes for them to change to a better path. Not whatever it takes, but to a degree. Yes, Paul? Well, there's two other things more motives for punishment, also both found in Scripture. Punishment as deterrence, um, for example, Deuteronomy 13 says, and all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Um, sometimes God uses punishment as a way to deter other people from engaging in that behavior. Do you, you guys hear me when I say this? Like, the implications might not all uh, settle in with you now, but what I do want you to think about is <clears throat> when we talk about there being punishment for sin or we think about the type of, like, all of the things that happened to Christ on the cross that he was, you know, that, that um, he was paying for, like, let, let's think a little bit about the motives for punishment. So, so deterrence, like, that, that's a real one. Um, deterrence is, is a real one, like if, if I see this happen to somebody else maybe I won't do that. It's not very good until the people you're trying to convince his brains are fully developed. Would you all agree with that, right? Like that doesn't work with little kids at all. It doesn't work with most adults either. Mo- no, it truly it doesn't. It does not work with most adults either, although statistically um, Men, men who are, as you know, are statistically way more uh, inclined to violent behavior. Surprise, um, they also that drops off dramatically after I think it's 28. After 28, unless they have been violent before and have become, you know, come into a life of violence, they are that like that drops dramatically off. Um, anyway, so so you're safe. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not angry. Um, yeah, because I'm very intimidating. All right, so, uh, Reformation, deterrence, retribution, what are some other biblical ones? What's that? Punishment. Just punishment, yeah. Punishment, which I would say is, I would say retribution is punishment, right? This is, this is by the way, our biblical concept of sh- conception of why Jesus died, right? Did Jesus have to die so that he would become reformed? No. Did Jesus have to die as a deterrence to sin? I mean, it's an after effect, but is that the reason? Probably not. Um, it's retribution, but not for his sins, but for the sins of the whole world, right? Here's another one, kind of like deterrence. So that whoever is punished cannot continue to harm people around them, right? Like, that's a, that's a valid reason for punishment. Um, you know, I mean, that's, and I hadn't thought about this, but there was, uh, there was you know, an incident that arose at one point where you know, there was a, there was a conversation about um, how to affect punishment on an individual and it was like well part of the duties and obligations are to protect people from this individual and that has to be part of the conversation about punishment would you all agree with that all right and it's and that's also biblical by the way um now yes so exile I'm sorry exile sending people into exile yeah they did not do prisons they did not do prisons which by the way this should um But they did have, and not in the current probably political manifestation, but they did have sanctuary cities in the Old Testament. I'm stepping into it now, but I'm letting you know that was something that happened. That was something that they had instituted in the Old Testament. Whether they had the same conception as what's being politically discussed now with the same implications, with the same fallout, I really don't know because I'm not paying that close attention. Um, I'm just not. Uh, there's, there's too much vitriol for me. Um, but I will say that that restraint, that, anyway, that that was a thing. But mostly it was just sent into exile. So I would think that would be distance from the general. Yeah, get, get out of here. Yeah, exactly. So you can, not not yeah, you, Nancy. The, you yeah. can't hurt us anymore if you're... Yeah. You're yeah. Right else away, so. yeah. I mean, sometimes that's kind of like, hey, by the way, walk out into the desert with no provisions, right, which is... Not really exile. Um, the ultimate exile. Yeah, let's, yeah. And then the last one is... Um, this one is actually just a simple one. It's not very profound. Restitution. Right? That should be... That's a motive for punishment. You took something from me and therefore something should be given back to replace what was stolen. You all follow, you all follow me so far? So now... I'm giving you these tidbits at the end this week and two weeks ago. Remember, two weeks ago we talked about the fact that old ancient laws were paradigmatic, as in like it was general like general things a lot of times, and then you widely applied those principles. Whereas most modern law is, you know, here's all every concrete detail I can give you, and try to find a loophole. Do you remember that conversation? Some of you do. This is kind of part two of that talk about biblical law and its and the reason for the way that things were done. And to let you know that, um, like, because it will come up, there will be conversations where it's like, well, the only types of punishment that we should consider for people are reformation. And it's like, well, that heavily depends on the ability of that person and willingness of that person to be reformed. Right? Like, can... Repentance repentance would be, like, I mean, repentance being, this is the motive for punishment, not, not the response of the person who has sinned. Does that make sense? So this is the this is the judge. This is not the judged. So the judged repenting. um, Okay. So how does repentance work? Is that kind of it? Like how? Like how should repentance fit into this scheme? So if you yes 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 but yes repentance can lead to reformation of character, but um, there is there is certainly. I've I found that people who are typically truly repentant are willing to live with the earthly consequences that have been given to them. Just because something is forgiven doesn't mean there shouldn't be some sort of distance. Yeah, exactly, right? Like so if you stole something from me, right? You stole my iPad, right? And then you said, "I'm truly repentant." Well, I would expect that your repentance would show itself in restitution. Right, it would be demonstrated in restitution. I would also hope to see it in reformation, right? That you would be reformed by that. Um, you know, you would restrain yourself from doing it again, right? I mean, there's, you know, like, um, if it was a public act of sin, then you would confess it publicly, and that would serve as a deterrence, right? And then there would be no retribution. Presumably, you look, yes. Where did slavery come in? Well, that's restitution. Most of these were because they they had debts that they couldn't pay off. I'm talking about conquering people and enslaving them that, that maybe they didn't do anything but paid from a different tribe. What would be your staff We're going to talk about, I'm not doing that today because I'm 10 minutes over. We will talk about the Old Testament conceptions of slavery and um, Old Testament explicit justifications and not, and, um, and, and, and by the way, justifications, I'm not using that as in God, God-derived justification, but I'm using that as justifications on a broad scale at another time. Um, now there was, um, there was a conception of slavery in which you could not pay back what you owed and you worked it off. There is that conception of slavery as well, um, which was, you know I mean, we still do that in movies with dishwashers, right? If you try to skip out on a meal, you wash dishes. That's, you pay for your meal, right? I mean, that's, that's what that is. But there's another conception we'll talk about another time, but not with negative 10 minutes. Yes, Paul? Just one quick point Let's say I took your iPad, and then I do all these things, and you know, go to the Apple store and buy you your rainbow iPad, like that and still doesn't totally make it right, because you know I took your iPad, and you went through the trauma of that. It, it doesn't make it right. No, yeah, right, like like you can't, Father Chris spoke about that. I can't take back the fact that I stole your iPad. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you can't, right, if you sin, you cannot fully make up for the sin like ever. You just, you can't. I mean, yeah, even, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Jesus even fills the gaps of areas in which we have repented of our sin, but the effects of that still linger. That's pretty cool thing to think about. That's what we're going to end on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have once again come together under your word. And God, I pray that you would flesh out these ways that you interact with us, God. Help give us new conceptions of the way that you work in our lives. Uh, And God, please uh, open our hearts to receive the ways that you have called us to live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, we ask that you like, subscribe, or share this message. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity Episcopal Church, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.